Welcome to my podcast. You are not alone. Convos with Annalisa. I am Annalisa. Hello, everyone. I'd like to start off by just saying, you know, hello, I'm back. And just to kind of give you a small synopsis of what's been kind of going on, we've had just the holidays that kind of bombarded us. Um, We have both our girls' birthdays in December and January. We had some Christmas recitals. We were volunteering over at the school for some Christmas events. And so we've just been a little bit chaotic around here. We are finally at the point where life is starting to feel more even. And so we will be resuming our podcasts and they will be coming out weekly. If you haven't had a chance yet, we would love for you to hit that subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are available. And thank you so much for listening in. So on episode two of Parenting a Sick Child, we kind of went through where Mabel had to get meds compounded, um, let you all kind of in on my special technique, not so very special, but um, my bribing techniques of getting my child to take some of these medications that are definitely, you know, not so tasty. We went through going into the hospital for the very first time and getting our very first Remicade infusion. And we're at the point now where we've been home 11 days and we are definitely feeling the pressure of some of Remicade kind of wearing off on on Sweet Mabel Ann. A decision needs to be made on my end. I rush her back in um, to the pediatrician. And I rushed her in because she threw up on me while we were at Walmart. And when I had asked my mom, what do I do? She said, call the pediatrician and maybe go in there because the GI can't get you in, obviously. And unless you want to go to the ER, maybe the pediatrician has some insight in this. So I say, okay, I take her to the pediatrician and they ask me in there, hey, mom, what do you want to do? that point, my mom had been texting and texting and texting, and I'm overwhelmed, so overwhelmed. And she tells me, you need to ask for lab work. And I'm annoyed because that means more pokes for this baby. I don't want that. But they you almost go into that whole thing where it's like, yeah, mother knows best. So I reluctantly tell them, let's run some labs. Let's run some labs on this baby and let's see what's going on. So I run back to the school to pick up my oldest and then have to lug her with me over back to the lab place so that we can get labs done. And they draw the labs. I come home and I had some errands I had to run. My husband got home and I said, take care of both the girls. I've got to run out. I have some Etsy orders due and I need to go purchase something at the store. I'll be right back. So I pull into the Walmart parking lot and I get a phone call from an unknown number and it's my pediatrician. 
and she tells me, Mabel's hemoglobin is a four. It should be between 11 and 13. Your daughter is bleeding out. You need to get her to the hospital immediately. And I ran back to my car and I called my husband and I told him, pack a bag for Mabel. I'm getting home and throwing stuff in a bag for me. We're going to be admitted to the hospital for quite some time. Her hemoglobin's a four and my husband's freaking out. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. I feel so helpless. Mabel's body is not responding to anything. It's just not. Go back to the hospital and the on-call doctor um, in the emergency room tells me she's definitely not a four. Um, I've seen a four before and she would be lethargic and your daughter is smiling and she's happy. And uh, let's go ahead and prove your pediatrician wrong. Whoa, when he came back, boy, was he wrong. He says, your daughter's hemoglobin is a four. She needs blood transfusions and it's go. It's go time. And so we rush on up. We rush on up and it's like three in the morning at this point and they're coming in with bags of blood. I'm freaking out. I mean, it is, it is intense and it is like, watching a vampire come to life when you see her getting these blood transfusions because her skin was so pale before within 20 minutes of starting the blood transfusions you start seeing the pink in her cheeks starting to come back and you really realize then how bad your child looked before but you have been with her 24 7 so you're watching it as it happens and and maybe you're too close to it to be able to see what's happening and so she gets that blood transfusion the next day doctors come in and they say we're going to go ahead and we're going to run remicade early because maybe she just needs them closer together which really isn't heard of for somebody her age but obviously it's telling us more and so I say, okay, let's do it. Let's let's get that that other Remicade going. But it does not work this time. She's still going to the bathroom so much. And it's just not helping at all. And so while we are here, I'm just angry with the teams. I don't feel like enough is being done. I feel like maybe they're not equipped to handle such a delicate case. And it's nothing personal because I love the hospitals here, but maybe this is just more than they can handle. And so I kind of start researching like the best places to take your child that has this autoimmune disease. And a couple of different places pop up. We have CHOP, which is the number one children's hospital in the country at the time, which is um, over in Philadelphia. And one of my best friends lives there. So of course, she's like, I will open my home up to you and your daughter should you need to get over here. I look at a couple of other places, the Mayo Clinic, and then the most reasonable in my eyes, and I believe at the time was ranked number four. Children's Hospital over in Houston. 
And so I say to myself, it's, it's go time. I need to go, I need to get her to Houston, but they are not going to let me get her discharged to drive her over because she will not survive is what they've told me. She is bleeding so much that if I take her, there is a strong possibility that she will bleed out before she gets to the other hospital, which is about four and a half hours away from us. And so my parents and my mother-in-law hand me wads of cash and said, take her where you need to go. If you, I looked at flights to get her to Philadelphia, to get me and her to Philadelphia. And I looked at flights to get us to Houston. I'm looking at everything. And the, one of the resident doctors that's in the hospital comes up to me and kind of corners me in the bathroom and lets me know that I'm not taking my child anywhere and that they will call CPS on me and that Mabel will be taken away from me. She's got her arms crossed and she's being so nasty. And I looked at her and I said, you don't know how to help my child. At what point do you admit defeat? And she says, we don't. And I said, well, how many blood transfusions has she had at this point? Eight, nine? Do you think that this is winning? Because this isn't winning. This is slapping Band-Aid after Band-Aid and putting my child's body through this awful feeling of being on a high of blood to being on a low of no blood. Can you imagine how that has to feel for this fresh three-year-old? I still consider her too. And so um, luckily, thanks to all of the Facebook groups that I am on, they instruct me to who I needed to talk to, patient advocates, et cetera, to be able to help me get out of there. So I go in there and I'm crying and I tell them, I need to get out of here. This is not the hospital for us. And I need for you to help me. And it's nothing personal. And I'm not angry. And I'm not looking at suing if that's what you all are afraid of. I just need to get her somewhere where there's more of a team that can help her. And so she is the sweetest person ever and says, I understand And so she says, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get this figured out for you. And, you know, there's some bumps along the way with it. Um, You know, some of the people weren't so happy with me and they tried to deter me from leaving. And I remember one of the doctors telling me, you're not going to be able to fly out of here. You're going to have to go by ambulance and it's going to take even longer because the ambulance drives slower and you're going to be in the ambulance for about eight hours for this four and a half hour drive. And I said, that's fine. I just need to get out of here. I stick to my guns and they tell me you're going to be able to, tap, to pack a very small suitcase with you because there's not a lot of room on the ambulance. And I said, that's fine. Um, I'll wear the same thing for a year if I have to. I, I don't care. I just need to get her better. And I come home to take a shower. My husband goes up to relieve me because it's been a while since I've probably come home and showered. And he calls me and he tells me, you have an airplane coming for you. You need to get back here now. And so I'm running around and I'm throwing as much as I can into this little tiny, you know, bag that I can carry anywhere with me. And I get back to the hospital and he says our, his goodbyes to us. And we, you know, make our plans that he'll, he'll head up to Houston as soon as he can. 
And then they tell me, oh, it's been canceled. You're not going to be leaving tonight. You'll leave sometime tomorrow, maybe even tomorrow night. And so I kind of just, you know, nod my head up and down and I say, okay, that's fine. And, um, we get ready for bed and I start unfolding the little bed. And then someone walks in and tells me your airplane just arrived and you all will be leaving within about 10 to 20 minutes. And I remember wanting to, you know, wring some necks because it felt like they were trying everything that they could to not let me leave. But at the same time, I had nurses pulling me into closets, letting me know that I was making the best decision for my daughter. Mabel's won everybody's hearts over because she's Mabel and she's just a baby going through this. The kangaroo crew shows up and they wheel us out to an ambulance And then the ambulance takes us to an airstrip for flight. And I remember getting off of the ambulance and seeing the plane and thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this thing is tiny. I feel like Richie Valens, like maybe this isn't going to end well, but you got to get your big girl panties on and you've got to just do it, you know? So, um, mid flight, Mabel starts freaking out because she can't see me. I'm more towards the back of this really small plane. Mind you, she can see me, but she wants me closer. So in this very little tiny plane, I have to shimmy myself around and they say, it's a really good thing that you're as tiny as you are and you can move about in here because this plane is just, I mean, I can stretch my arms out from side to side and touch each side of the airplane. Like it's just tiny. And so I shimmy my way up there and I hold her hand the entire, you know, flight, which isn't long. It's not a long flight at all, but it feels long in this tiny little thing. Um, We get there and they're so fantastic. They have another ambulance waiting for us and they assure me along the drive that I've made the best possible decision for my daughter. They've heard about her case they are heartbroken that somebody so small is going through so much and that she's had as many blood transfusions as she has had. We go ahead and we get admitted into the children's hospital over in Houston. And we spend the night in this tiny itty bitty room. That's probably, again, when I laid on the pullout bed, it was so tight that my hand was resting on inside of Mabel's bed. And I thought to myself, I don't care how big this room is. If this is the room that they have for us, I will take it with the biggest smile of my entire life. Like it'll be fine. So they're not done with this yet. At that point, it's, oh my goodness, it's gotta be two, three in the morning. And the on-call doctor comes in and gets an entire rundown of everything that's been going on with her and lets me know, you know, get some rest. We're going to be doing a lot tomorrow. And so I say, okay. And so I get about two, three hours of sleep. And then the next morning comes in and it's an entire team in our tiny little room, letting me know that, um, we're going to be getting a different room at some point. They don't know when, but at some point we'll, we'll get a different room, which is fine. I'm not picky. And they inform me that they're going to go ahead and she needs a feeding tube inserted um, via her nostril because she's just not really eating. She's not, she doesn't feel good. 
So that was my first experience with an NG tube. Not the best, very traumatizing for both Mabel and myself. Mabel decides at some point when I go to use the bathroom to pull the entire NG tube out. So we have to have a another group come in, reinsert it, and then give her what they call a mustache, which just means basically way more tape that she can't really move it. And so I kind of let her know, like, you didn't like how that felt. Please stop pulling it out because it's just not going to get any better love bug. Like they're going to keep putting it in and you're not going to be happy. So we get moved up into a bigger room later on that day. They come in and they let me know they want to scope her here. We need fresh scopes. So mind you, this is our third set of scopes in less than six months. It's very overwhelming. It's so intense. Okay. This is like February 1st that we're admitted into, um, into the Houston hospital. And so we run scopes on her. They come back and they're like, you know, it looks pretty angry in there. We're going to, we're going to do where we keep her off of anything solid. And we just want to give her bowel rest. And we want to see if that kind of helps kick her into a better spot. So two weeks pass and we do nothing but liquid diet type thing. Mind you, they're giving her formula via the NG tube, which she just hates this child. She's just losing her Mabelness. Two weeks pass and she's just not getting any better. We're still going to the bathroom a whole bunch. And they tell me, you know, we need to have a meeting with you. And it's scary. It's very scary, this meeting that's about to happen. It's a meeting with some of the top GIs in that hospital, which are renowned GI specialists in the world. And they pull me into that room. My husband isn't there. He is in San Antonio raising our daughter. You know, he's one of us has to be here for her. And I remember they sat there and they told me the possibility of Mabel getting cancer before she hits 18 because of the severity of her ulcerative colitis is extremely high. The possibility of Mabel just declining more and more is very high. They said, we have two options for you. We can abandon Remicade, which is not working. And we can ask your insurance if they will approve for us to start a new medication called Antivio, which is not approved for children under a certain age. And my three-year-old is very under that age. I believe it's 15. Or we can remove her colon. And I looked at them and I said, you're not touching her. It's not happening. And I said, I need time to think about all of this. And they said, of course, take all the time you need. If you have more questions, you're more than happy to, you're more more than happy to answer these for you. So I leave that room and I'm in tears and I go to the bathroom in the hall, not the bathroom in Mabel's room, the bathroom in the hall. 
and I fall to the ground and I just cry. What do you mean you want to remove Mabel's colon? That would leave her with an ostomy. How do you say yes to this? I came back into the room and I had Mabel tells me, um, can you get me some ice, please? And I said, yeah, of course, of course. And so I grab, you know, the ice bucket and I walk out to go grab ice. And I think to myself, how much more are you going to put her through? How much more does she have to endure? When is, when is it enough? She misses home. She's FaceTiming my husband and my daughter here at home and having them give her tours of the house because she misses it so much. And it's heartbreaking to watch. And I call my husband and I tell him what they want to do. And I love him so much. He tells me, I'm in back of you. Whatever you think is going to heal our baby, I will fight right beside you. And that's intense because now this whole thing is on your shoulders. What do you do? So I start reaching out on Facebook to the ostomy groups and the success stories that I am seeing on this are overwhelming And I'm talking to my parents and they're the same as my husband in back of me, by my side, with me. Whatever you think, baby, you get our grandbaby good. That's intense. That's a lot of pressure. So I talked to a few parents and there's a lady in Houston whose daughter has just had surgery. And she tells me, do you want me, do you want us to come and visit you? Do you want to see what a teenager is going through with this? And I said, absolutely. And I say to myself, this is enough. I'm done. This disease is robbing me of everything. Mabel is having so many mood swings because she's on such high doses of prednisone, steroids. She has stopped talking because she doesn't like how it feels when she talks with the NG tube in her nose. She hates walking because in order for her to walk, it is me dragging behind her an IV pole that is filled with medications When do you say this is enough? When do you say I'm done? And I called the doctors back out and I said, I'm done. I'm done. Do you really think that this is going to help her? And they say, yes. And so I said, let's do it. That's that's all I can do. I want my baby home. We have spent Valentine's and I know that it's not like a holiday, like a huge holiday, but it's it's a holiday. We had to write Valentine's to the doctors who make rounds. That was who her Valentine's went to, not her friends at MDO, to doctors and nurses. And mind you, they're fantastic. They're so great. But that's not what you envision 
we say, let's, let's do this. Let's schedule this. Let's, let's just go for it. And so they tell me it's going to be about a week before it can get done. And I said, okay, that's fine. And that was a, I believe that was like a Monday or a Tuesday. And then I remember they came back and said it was going to be much sooner. It was going to be pushed up quite a few days. And so I called my husband, I called my mother-in-law, I called my parents and I said, this is our scheduled date of surgery at this point. Everyone needs to caravan to make their way out here to Houston. And they do because they're great and they love her and we're team able, you know, takes a village to, to get it all set up, set up, but we do. And I just enjoy those next days with my baby. They kind of start giving her more freedom because at this point they already know what's going to happen. And so I start videoing what her belly looks like without an ostomy. And I start kissing it and loving on her and blowing raspberries all over her beautiful little unscarred belly. And she's so happy and she's so wonderful and she's so great through all of this. And surgery day comes and everybody's there, including big sister. And we have to roll her down. And again, I have to hand my baby over. But this time knowing that she's going to come back a very different child. She's going to come back with an ostomy. Very intense. We decide to eat and do everything that we can. They decide they want to run genetics on both her father and I, just so that way we can have um, all of that on file. And so we do all of that during surgery. I told him, we have to eat. We have to force ourselves to do everything that needs to get done because when she comes out, we're not leaving her side. And he agrees. And, and we do everything we have to do. And then it's just waiting after that. And so we wait and we wait and we wait. And they finally come out and they say, it was a great thing that we did it because it was awful. She was not going to heal. There was no way. And I say, okay, okay, we're, we're soldiering on. We're, we're going to go forward with all of this. And we go back there with her to recovery. And my husband's like, let's look at it while she's asleep and let's familiarize herself. And I said, I can't do that. I can't. That's an invasion of privacy for me, for her. And I said, I'm not ready. Um, and maybe when we get back to our own room and we're out of this department, it'll be better. And I don't know what to expect. I don't know if she's going to be in pain. I don't know anything. Finally, they take us upstairs and she finally gets put into her bed and the family comes in and kind of sees her and everyone kind of leaves because they said, we need to be alone, Ryan, myself and her. It just needs to be the three of us. Nobody else at this point. We need to start learning how to do this next chapter of our lives together. And so they're great and everybody goes and big sister goes and it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal. So our sweet Mabel Ann finally wakes up. She is wanting mommy to carry her and it's not possible. It's just not possible. They have 
these contraptions on her arms that keep like boards that keep them straight so that she doesn't try to rip off her ostomy bag. It takes a village. It takes all the nurses and my husband because she's crying. She just wants her mommy. And I'm right there with her. I want, I want my baby. Everybody comes in and we decide we're going to lift her up and I am going to slide underneath her and she will lay on top of me facing up. So her back of her head will be on me and she's still being surrounded by me, I guess you could say. And so it takes everybody, it takes about maybe five, six people. And then it takes me and mind you, she's still hooked up to so many wires. It's awful. I shimmy myself under there and she lays on top of me and that's how we slept. And it was the worst night of my life as far as sleep goes. But if it made my baby happy, I would do it again a hundred times without questions. The next morning, everyone comes in to help her, to help me get out because I'm stuck. I need everybody's help again because we don't want to pull any wires or anything like that. And so, um, she's doing great. She's actually not in any kind of pain. She's happy. She gives me the first real smile that she could on her own without me tickling her or anything in such a long time. And we have that photo and we always look at it and it's very dear to our entire family because it just kind of shows she felt better. Her body was rejecting her colon. And once we removed it, her body felt better. I have videos of her and that next morning, she's like, when can I eat? And we're looking at each other. And I told my husband, she's not asked me for any food this entire time that she's been here. So this is really huge. The doctors come in and they're like, everything is just beautiful, just beautiful. And now we start this next chapter in our lives, learning how to manage an ostomy, which I have no clue, (laughs) completely new and blind to all of this. I've had some wonderful friends um, reach out and give me advice and let me know what needs to be done. The ostomy nurse for the hospital comes in, gives us a crash course. The nurses come in and help us change it for the very first time, which was a little traumatizing. I'm not going to lie and say it's all been like such a great thing. Like, no, it's pretty traumatizing, but my daughter's feeling better. My daughter is turning back into Mabel Ann and she is silly and she is happy and she is walking again and she is ready to come home. I'm ready to come home. March 1st hits and we are released. Mabel has spent 48 or 49 days in the hospital, which is a lot. They give us the okay to come home. We have a supply company for ostomy supplies. We have medications. We're we're good. We're so good. We're ready to come home. The first, I mean, she was, I mean, she was, she had been showered. We were so fortunate. We, she had been showered and showered with gifts from all over the country. 
from fellow ulcerative colitis warriors and Crohn's warriors and ostomy warriors. And everybody accepted us as if though we were family. And she just, I, I, she was at one point known as the balloon girl in the hospital because every day she had a bouquet of balloons being brought to her room. I still have all of them. We deflated them and they're in a shoe box. One of my husband's who's shoe size is 14. So just to give you an idea of how big the box actually is, it's pretty big, um, of balloons and cards and bags and bags of toys and everything you can think of because we are just loved and surrounded by such great people. Every time I felt like I was failing, we would receive something and people letting me know that we were doing so great. So many Facebook messages and mail that even got sent to our home from wonderful people, again, from around the country of just love for this child who is going through this awful thing. She's so happy when we get in the elevator to come down and we were scared out of our minds. How do you even put a child with an ostomy bag in a car seat? We didn't know. We were just going with it. We were just like, we're going home. We're taking this baby home. We will figure this out. And we do. We navigate it. She makes it the entire way home and gets home to our garage door filled with beautiful pictures saying welcome home from so many friends and her sister. She gets off the car, doesn't recognize our house. Heartbreaking. I don't even recognize my house. I walk in and I'm like, it smells different. My husband's like, there's nothing different. And I'm like, it smells so different. I haven't had a real shower in weeks. My clothes needs to be washed in my washer. I need to be home. We have meds that need to be picked up at the local pharmacy. And I remember telling my husband, just give me 20 minutes. Just let me get in the shower. Just let me get in the shower. And I get in there and I don't want to come out. Mabel is like, I want to take a shower too. And I say to myself, oh, I'm not ready to take you a shower yet because I have no idea how this works with an ostomy. (laughs) I have to research. And so I take my shower, I come out, he runs to the, you know, to the pharmacy and I'm Googling like crazy. How do you take a child with an ostomy a bath? Of course, it's silly, you know, now that I think about it, you know, just like you normally would. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with her. She's perfectly fine. Um, You know, you just have this other little appliance that you got to maneuver, got to work around, which is fine. Everything starts kind of a little bit falling into place. We're still learning the ostomy world, which I feel like we'll talk about maybe later on because it really is its own entity. It's, it really, really is, but we are finally home and she's doing so great. And we have follow-up appointments scheduled. We have everything just ready to go. And it's so great. And it it's, it's finally, it feels like the thunderstorm is starting to let up. 
and there might be a glimmer of sunshine. We just have to be patient and we have to be, we have to just live this new life. You know, we have to just adjust a little bit. It's really weird because people ask me all the time, how do you do it? You just do. You go into autopilot and you say to yourself, I don't feel like this is a disability for her. I feel like this gave her the ability to be the child she was supposed to be. Now, her dad and I are scared to death of her doing everything with this ostomy, but I'm going to tell you, Mabel Ann is not afraid of anything. She is living her life as if though this doesn't even exist. It's just another little thing. It's She's so brave and so wonderful and so strong and resilient. And I've always said that about her. She is one of the most resilient children that I personally know. She has taught us so much. She continues to teach me daily and prove me wrong when I say, I don't really think she can do that. Oh no, she can and she will and she does. She's very Mabel. It's the only way to describe her. She's Mabel. We're very lucky to have her. I know how close we were for that to not be a reality and I treasure every day with her and her sister. Thank you so much for listening in to part three of Parenting a Sick Child. Remember, you are not alone. If there is a question or topic you have or want to discuss, please feel free to email me at convoswithanalisa at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. You are not alone. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted when new episodes are available. Thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. Goodbye. Thank you.